It really is a joy uh, to be here this morning. Um, you know, this church has been a big part of my life. So me and Rebecca, we've been married 15 years. That's my wife. And uh, Monty and Kimberly did our pre-marriage counseling back in the day. Uh, Chad and Laurie Vincent had just moved to town to start a youth group. And Chad grabs me and Rebecca is like, I need some youth leaders. And we're like, we don't know what we're doing. He's like, great, come on. <laughs> like, you love Jesus, go for it. I was like, all right, we got it. And that took me on a path to, to end up coming back here one day as, as helped Chad be the student pastor. And so I've been here nine and a half years as the student pastor. Uh, um, you know, and it's just, it's just a joy. I love this church. I, I love, uh, love the students here. I love the families here. I've always been so encouraged. So it really is an honor and privilege to be here. Uh, I've got three kids of my own. Caroline is 12, Reed or Anna Laura is nine and Reed is about to be seven. Uh, I got another uh, daughter who had died during birth. You can hear a little bit of her, her today, Gracie. I get to see her one day again, and I can't wait for that day. Um, but uh, what I'm going to talk about this morning is we're going to be looking into fear. And so I thought I would share a little bit about me and things I'm scared of. Okay, I'm scared of heights. I don't know if anybody likes, like, I love mountain, I love like rock climbing and mountain climbing, but when I get to the top, it's just like I'm shaking. I'm like, ooh, I can't do this. Like, don't get near the edge. I hate snakes. Anybody here hate snakes? Yes, evil creatures. And when they, they assault my house, I have to take care of them. I'm dancing around like a little, you know, person to tap or something. It's so scary. Oh, I hate them. Uh, you know what's scary is parenting. Any parents in here, is it scary? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a fear I didn't know about is that your kids have this great power. Uh, they love when you're dead asleep, they love to just sneak in your room at two in the morning and stand right by your face and tap you. Yeah, and say, I'm scared. And I'm like, whoa! Well, I'm scared now too. And so as I prepared this week, I got the joy of Reed coming to my room about two in the morning on Thursday and, and waking me up and I just went crazy. I was like, ah! Oh man. Okay, I really, here's another fear. I hate public speaking. So yeah, thank you, Monty, as you're off, you know, resting. I'm freaking out all week. I really did. I hated it in middle school, high school, uh, college. I waited to the, like the summer session when there's nobody in, in the speech class to take it. I had speech growing up as a young kid because I couldn't say certain letters good. And then, um, and then when God called me to ministry, I was like, ha ha, you're funny. I can't speak in front of people. So really it is scary uh, being up here. So thank you guys. Uh, you know, there's emotional fears like, you know, does any, will anybody like me? Will anybody listen to me? Do I have what it takes? What if I fail? You know, you feel those things. Those are fear. Um, and I told my family, I was like, I'm going to share some of their fears too, because I'm not the only crazy one. My wife is terrified of outer space. I don't know if anybody has that fear, but gravity about sent her into a panic attack, that movie. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I know. Get sucked up in outer space. It's, it's a real fear for her. Uh, Reed, my son, uh, we couldn't figure out him. He's just afraid of sitting still. I mean, he just can't like, you know, like sit still. If he sits still, then like he will do something happen. Anna Lars is afraid of storms. So that was a fun week for us. And Caroline, when she was young, she was terrified of the Chick-fil-A cow. Yeah. She grew out of that. Disney World actually saved us from that. That's, that's a spiritual way. If your kid's scared of mascots, take them to Disney World. They will, uh, they will win them over. So anyway, here's the reality. We live in a world that there's things, those are fun things to be scared of, but there, there's some really scary stuff out there. 
uh, you know, like I was just this last two weeks preparing for this. I said, let me just, I'm just going to read some CNN, you know, get on Facebook, Fox News. I'm just going to read about all the bad stuff in this world. Because this passage today talks about how evil, there's evil in this world. And here's just some of the things. That was really not fun. Shootings, death, disease, terrorism, war, stabbing, sex trafficking, child abuse, corruption, lying, suicide, drug addictions, nuclear threats, an alligator in a man's garage. That's just scary, right? It's like a giant snake with little legs. <laughs> Kidnappings, murder, racism, hate, crimes, robbery, sexual assault, bullying. You see, there's just so many bad things all around us. The world is broken. And so here's what we do as humans. We're like, yeah, we got to make it right. We're like, if people had more education, they wouldn't do that stuff. That's failed. More science. That hasn't worked. Capitalism, more money. That's going to change the world. That hasn't worked. Socialism, that's failed many times. Environmentalism, right? We just saved the environment. We're all going to be good. Communism or escapism, it's not real. The pain that you see, it's just an illusion. No big deal, right? It just, it's not real to escape or who cares? It's just how it is. You only live once, go for it, have fun. You see, here's the deal. Our world, we look, everybody looks at the world and we say it's broken, something's wrong. And we want peace, we want like this pain and suffering, all these bad things to go away, but we try to fix the world on our own. We try to say, you know what? We want the kingdom of God without the king. And so here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that evil is real. It doesn't say, oh, it's a, an illusion. It says it's real. And it's actually far worse than you think because when, G, when, when God made everything good and all was well, then what happens? We broke trust with God. We said, you know what? We're gonna go on our way. We don't really need you. So we broke trust with God. And then a good and righteous God removes himself from us and then evil enters. And then the Bible says there's evil in us. Like you don't have to teach your kids to do bad things. It's, it's in us. The Bible says that uh, there's evil all around us. I mean, there's disease, there's death, right? All those things I just read, that's all around us. And then today we're gonna look at, the Bible says it's actually far worse than you think. There's actually this spiritual evil. There's this darkness, there's these evil forces that are in the spiritual realm actually attacking us and coming after us too. Uh, Ephesians 6, 12, it's on your outline. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So this is Paul. Yeah, he wrestled against flesh and blood. He, he, he was, you know, he was beaten. He was stoned. I mean, he, you know, he wrestled against it. He wrestled against his own flesh. But he says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, Paul, he knew. He's like, you know what? There is a spiritual darkness we know Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but 1 John 3, 8 reminds us that Jesus also came to destroy the work of the devil. See, the Bible paints this picture of, these, of this spiritual darkness that's all around us. And these are just spiritual beings that God created. We call them angels. They were good. They were created to glorify God and, and enjoy him. They were good. They weren't physical. They were just spiritual. But Lucifer the most beautiful and powerful and majestic of all of them, all of a sudden, his beauty and power, Ezekiel 28 tells us, got to his head. He's like, oh, I, I like my glory more than God's glory. I can be like him. I can be better than him. And then it says that pride led him to turn on God and take a third of the angels to try to fight God. That didn't go well for him. He cast them out of heaven, threw them down to this earth, the spiritual realm of earth. 
And, um, and so that's what we have demons, okay? So they're just fallen angels and, and Satan is one of those. So as we talk about demons, that's what we're talking about. Um, and so here's what we have, what's interesting in the passage that we're getting today, Luke 8, is that Jesus comes onto the scene and he's talking about the kingdom of God. And so here's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom is that the Messiah, Jesus, he has come to actually bring God's rule and reign back to earth to set everything right. And Jesus is gonna show us that he can drive the evil out of us. We're gonna see that later on in Luke where he goes to the cross and he, he's able to forgive us of our sins. He's, he's paid the penalty for our sins. He's gonna say, Jesus has already shown that he can drive all the evil around us out. You know, people that are sick, that are diseased, he can heal them. And he does it while he's on earth. So he shows that he has the power. He's the Messiah to bring the kingdom in. And then today we're gonna to look at what happens when Jesus goes up against an army of evil darkness. We're gonna see that Jesus has the power to drive out the evil darkness that's all around us too. And so that is the kingdom. So here's what's interesting with Jesus, the way he brings in his kingdom, all right, he's gonna go out and proclaim this and he's gonna go out and proclaim the good news to everyone. But instead of renting out these massive Colosseums and saying, hey, everybody come listen to me, here's what he does. He grabs these few messy disciples and he spends life with them and he, he's with them a lot and they're seeing what he can do. And he takes them on these training trips to show them how they are gonna take the good news to the whole world. And so part of his training is, it gets to our text today. If you wanna turn to Luke 8, 26, we're gonna start there. Jesus says, you know what? Hey, let's go to the other side. Let's get in the boat. We're gonna go to the other side. We're gonna go to the land of the Gerasenes. And this is the area where Jesus hasn't been yet. This is an area that is, uh, that, that there has been no, you know, Jesus influence there. It's an area that is a lot like our culture today. They just love themselves more than anything in the world. They love pleasure, they love money. Uh, they they, they kind of had a, a different kind of religions with Greek and Roman, you know, but more than anything, they loved themselves, but they were lost and hopeless. And Jesus says, let's take the good news of the kingdom over there, okay? And so, so on their way over there, here's what happens. They get in the boat and Jeff went over this last week, right? They get in the boat and there's this massive storm and the disciples are terrified of the storm. Then they wake Jesus up and Jesus just says, hush. That's what Jeff said, right? Hush, shh. Storm just, right, stops instantly. And the disciples are like, wow, who is this man that commands the waves and the wind? And then Jesus says, why didn't you trust me? You know, I told you we we're going to the other side. Did you not trust me? And you say, here's what's interesting. Fear has a way of revealing what we really trust in. And if there's one thing that Jesus wants his disciples to get, he wants them to trust him because he's wanting to do something far bigger than they can ever imagine in them and through him. But it's gonna take their trust in him alone to do it. And so that gets us to our passage today. So imagine the storm has stopped, things are calm. They're like, whoo, okay, we're good. We're a little scared now of Jesus because it said they were even more terrified of him than the storm, right? Because they had just seen his glory, his power, and they roll up on this shore. They're going to an area they're not really excited about, right? Because these are Gentiles that really don't deserve God's grace and love. But Jesus said, go there, so we're gonna go there. So here's what happens. Read with me uh, uh, verse 26 through 30 here, or 36. Here's what it says. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. 
When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him not to let them enter these, or they begged him to let, the, let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep banks into the lake and drowned. We'll finish that story in a little bit. So here's the deal. Here's what we see. It's really fascinating is that we don't see in the Old Testament a lot of times where these demons are controlling people. We know they have influence, but we just don't see it a ton. But then something's really fascinating that when Jesus all of a sudden shows up because Jesus is fully God, he's fully righteous, he is completely good, that all of a sudden his goodness starts exposing all the demons that, that are out there. You know, he's going to the church, the synagogue, and demons are in there. You know, he's going out to the city and the demons are there. And these demons are like coming to him and they're begging him to, to leave them alone. So something about the goodness of Jesus exposes the real evil that's going on behind all the, the physical evil that people could see at this time. And so here's what I want you to see, this first point, evil is exposed. Look at the state of this man. This poor guy says he was naked. So you imagine that for the disciples, they pull up on the shore, all of a sudden this naked man, crazy man screaming and yelling with cuts all over, runs at them. That's scary. All right, but look, man, this guy's naked, animal-like. See his state? It said that he lived in the tombs. He had no home. He was homeless, but he's living where dead things live. That's sad. Look at the next thing. It says that he was imprisoned. Okay, so Luke kind of gets a little flashback. He said, hey, you know, at one point, because, uh, you know, the society didn't know what to do with this man, so they would lock him up with shackles. They would bind him and guard him. And so just for a little bit, the, the demons would let the man have some sanity back. That's how evil they are. I'll give you a little sanity just to remember who you were and where you come from. And then he'd be locked up because people were scared of him. And then what would they do? They would just take over, break the chains and then run out to the desert to be alone. You see how wicked and evil these demons and what they're doing to this man? Look at the next thing. Matthew, Matthew and Mark actually have the same account that give us a little more details. Matthew tells us uh, that the, the, the man was so violent that nobody could pass this way. So that people were terrified of this, this person. This demon-possessed man. Uh, Mark also tells us that uh, the demons day and night would cry out from the tombs and from the hills and uh, would cut himself with stones. So you see this man in torment and pain and maybe he's trying to cut the demons out. Maybe the demons are just trying to, to you know, destroy the image of God and, and cause pain to that. But you see his place. Also, it says he's, he's isolated at this point. He's not guarded. He's just in this tomb alone. 
Uh, Matthew does say that there's another demon-possessed man, but they're alone, just those two. Uh, and then here's the next thing. It says that he is possessed. Look at me with verse 30. It says, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion for many demons had entered him. See, a legion is not a name of a person. A legion is a name of an army, uh, an army of Roman soldiers. And during this time, uh, Roman soldiers were anywhere from 4,000 to 6,000. So this, this guy said, hey, look, there's 4,000 or 6,000 of us, an army in here attacking this man, destroying his life. But look how the demon responds to him. He's, at, he's begging for mercy at the feet of Jesus. See, see, here's what happens. The evil fears the presence and judgment of Jesus. So let me just pause for just a second because it's easy to look at this guy and say, oh, well, he was completely controlled by demons. They don't, we don't see that much today. There's no power. You know, they don't do that anymore. But just look through that list on your outline. Think about this. What does nakedness mean? Who struggles with shame? I'm not good enough. I'm worthless. I'm a failure, right? It's a picture of shame. Think about like living in a tomb. That means you're dead. You're depressed. Think about so many people you love that are imprisoned to addictions, lust, lies, sex, drug, alcohol, people pleasing, codependency, fear, right? Violent, right? This guy's raging. How many of us struggle with just rage or raging anxiety? How many people do we know that we love that are crying out for the pain to stop in their life? How many people do we know that we love that actually are harming themselves because they don't know what to do with the pain in their life? And how many people do we know that are so alone? Okay, you see, as evil is exposed, you see where it wants to take you. You see where its plan is to completely remove you from God and you seem hopeless. And I'm telling you, man, when we went to the journey home a few weeks ago with our students, uh, training them to follow Jesus, and we start talking to some of these homeless men and women there, yeah, you saw a lot that were imprisoned because of their, their drug and alcohol abuse. But there were so many stories. It was so sad that here's what happened. They lost a job and they had no one in their life to help them. This one guy said, you know, I got evicted. I didn't know where to go, so I just went to live in the woods. You see, Satan wants you to be alone. So when the storms of life hit you, you have nothing to do and you're all alone. Okay, so that's a little depressing, right? So, but Jesus, let me hear you say that, but Jesus. Yes, it gets better. Okay, uh, here's what Jesus says. Remember, Jesus is good. Remember on the boat, the men were like, who is this man? Well, what the demons do, they tell you who this man is. Verse 28 says this, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. You see, that is the son of the sovereign God. They know who Jesus is. They have proper theology. They know he's in control. Verse 31 says, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. See, Jesus is the righteous judge. The abyss is the place where demons will be locked up. Uh, it's a prison. And then one day that they will be cast into the lake of fire for final judgment. They know that Jesus could send them there. And they know that there is a time where they will go there. They have proper eschatology. That's right, they know. Verse 36 says this, Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank 
into the lake and drowned. Do you see? Jesus just says, come out. And they do what he says to do. And it says he was delivered. So Jesus is the deliverer. For some of you uh, Avenger fans out there, it's like Jesus looks at the demons and says, I am Jesus. Gone. Gone, right? Like demons are gone. Just like that. So here's a quick, I'm gonna quickly talk about this. When you look at this passage, you're like, but what about the pigs? Like, this is really odd. You don't see this anywhere in scripture. All of a sudden, Jesus says, you can go in these pigs and they, they die. You know, it's brutal death here. Uh, so, and this causes a lot of issues. Uh, if you're a non-Jewish person and, and you saw this, you would be like, why, Jesus, would you let such an economic loss happen? You know, 2,000 pigs is what Mark tells us. That's a lot of, that's a lot of money. So they would be really offended that Jesus would actually, you know, allow that kind of suffering to happen to them. A Jewish person would be like, heck yeah, Jesus. Those evil pigs, those evil Gentiles, they finally get what they deserve. He'd be like, Jesus, why haven't you been doing this the whole time? Why'd you wait? They'd have been excited. I read this and I love bacon. I'm like, Jesus, you can do anything. Can't you turn this stuff into bacon? Come on. I mean, I know you're Jewish. You can't eat it, but give it to everybody else. Wow. A modern day reader looks at this and they say, man, those poor pigs, don't pigs have the rights of humans? And then Peter would give a campaign against uh, Jesus and tell how evil he is. So you see like the, it, there's a bunch of whys there and, and Luke actually doesn't give much of an answer. And as I was reading about this, there are tons of people all over the board. Let me give you just a few maybe reasons why Jesus did this. Here, here's what it says. One could be is that it's a picture of what evil likes to do to kill, steal, and destroy. You see, Jesus might allow this to happen because he just says, yeah, you can go into those pigs and the demons do what they do. They kill and they steal and they destroy. So that's a visual picture of that. Maybe it's a picture of the cost of driving out evil. Jesus is gonna take this to another le level later when he's gonna actually give up his life to drive out evil. Maybe Jesus is saying, you know what? The soul of one man is so much important than that of a pig. And pigs don't just represent an animal, they represent these people's, this was their money, this was their lifestyle, this was their pleasure. And he says, loss of that temporary stuff there that might be good is far greater, right? That's, that's far better for this one man to find eternal life. You see, here's what Jesus, here, here's what, um, I think why Luke doesn't tell us the why, because he wants us to focus on the who and what Jesus is. You see, one of the darkest times in my life was when we were in seminary Learned about Jesus, learned to follow Jesus. And uh, we have our second child, Gracie, and we find out that she has trisomy 13. And we find out that she's not gonna live. And then eight months later, she dies during birth. And it was the saddest, most difficult. I was so angry, I was so frustrated. And I was like, why God would you let this happen? Why would you do this to me? Why, you know, you can do anything. Why, asking all these why questions. And God is gracious, he, he invites the why questions, but the why questions never got me out of that darkness. You know what it was? It was the, what God did in his kindness and his goodness and his, through his community and many of you in here is that he slowly showed me who he was. He reminded me that he was good. He reminded me of his love. He reminded me of Jesus and what Jesus has done for me and what Jesus has planned to do to set everything right. And that is what drove me out of that dark place, right? It was like he was saying, do you, do you trust me with your kids, right? Do you trust me with the loss of your kid? 
And, 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 and Jesus got us through that, right? Seeing who he is. So that's what I want you to see this morning is the, who the Jesus is. Uh, last two points here on who Jesus is. It says here that Jesus is also the healer. This man is now cleansed and clothed. He's physically and emotionally healed. But it's even better than that because we find out that Jesus is also the savior. It's said, Luke says that he is sitting at the foot of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. And that's Luke's way of saying, now he is a disciple. He has placed his trust away from himself and the world and he's placed his trust in Jesus alone. And he's sitting there in a, in a posture of grace and love receiving Jesus in his life. And so Jesus is the savior. So let me pause for just a moment before we get onto this last point and ask you a question. What is the Jesus or who is the Jesus that you're following? You know, I know for most of my life, I've followed the Jesus, the baby Jesus. He was just sweet, right? He's this passive little kind Jesus. And then he didn't really care much about my life. But when I had some issues, I would go to him. He'd help me. Uh, but then after that, he was like, oh, you're good. Go do your own thing. It don't matter. And then I would have some more issues, go back to him. You know, I follow that Jesus most of my life. But as I look at the Bible and I look at the Jesus in the Bible, it's so different than that. It's a Jesus that's Lord over all. It's a Jesus that's full of compassion and grace and truth. It's a Jesus that looks at a legion of demons in their eye and they shudder. And he says, get away from the people I love and they leave. It's the Jesus that's the healer, the deliverer. It's the Jesus that we wanna proclaim. So let me ask you this, because here's, here's when I ask you this, the Jesus that you follow is the Jesus that you proclaim. Does that make sense? So the Jesus that you're following is the Jesus you proclaim. And so if your words and action were exposed today, which Jesus are you following? Are you trapped in the darkness and following a passive Jesus? Or do you have hope in life because you're following the real living Jesus? I'm going to the last point here is that we always see that Jesus demands a response. He always demands a response and there's always two. Read with me verse 37. It says, then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear. Oh man, do you see that? So, so they all see what's happened. They see, the, they see this healed man and he's changed. They see the pigs and they look at Jesus and it says they were afraid and they see a man that they cannot control. They can't lock this man up. They see a man that has complete power and they say, get away from me. The same reaction the demons have, depart from me. John 3, 19 gives us a little, maybe a reason why they did that. He says this, people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, they liked their lifestyle. They said, Jesus, leave me alone. I kind of like what I'm doing. I don't need you. I got this. Don't judge me. Don't tell me how to live my life. You see, they liked what they were doing. Right, and I think with some of our sins that we give into that control us, that enslave us, that imprison us, I think the reason is because we like it. And we gotta, we gotta admit that and turn to Jesus. But there's a better response because here's what Jesus does there. It's really sad, it's one of the saddest things in scriptures. He says, he gets in the boat and leaves. Ooh, you see judgment there. He says, okay, you don't want me, I'm out. I'm leaving, he takes his disciples and he leaves. 
But there is a better response. Read with me verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for you. You see, the second response is this man, he, he sees Jesus in his glory, he sees his, and he sees it as good. Wow, he said, I'm evil, but you're good. And he sits at his feet and he draws near. And then when he looks up, he realizes Jesus hasn't departed from him. Jesus is right there. And he's moved with grace and love. And he's sitting, he's just learning, he's receiving from Jesus. And he's not with them very long. And then Jesus does what you don't think he would do. He doesn't say, yeah, come on with me. Come with me. Now he goes, no, I've got better plans for you. <laughs> you are, you got, you got a new purpose in life now. He says, I want you to go back home now. So he says, stand up, let's go. And go back home and tell everyone what God has done for you. Do you imagine the fear of this guy? You're like, wait a second. Like that man, there's my story, I can't go back. Like they hate me. Like I, there's no way Jesus I can go back. And you want me to go back? But what does he do? In an act of trust, what does he do? He draws near to Jesus, okay, I'm gonna go. And here's what he does, he goes back and he tells it to his hometown. And then you know what Mark says he does? Mark actually says that he doesn't just stop there. Mark says that he goes throughout the whole Decapolis, all the 10 cities in this area and proclaims how great God is and what he's done in his life. You see, as he sat at the feet of Jesus, he was able to stand and then he went out with the power of Jesus and proclaimed the name of Jesus. Here's what we see later. We see Mark, uh, later on in Mark, Jesus comes back to the Decapolis. We don't know if it's this city, but he comes back. And guess what's happening? When Jesus arrives, people from all over are coming to him to be healed. Where do you think he heard that story from? Right? So Jesus turns a crazy madman into a missionary like that. That is the power of Jesus over the darkness. And so let me just share a quick story here um, and then we'll, we'll jump into the so what. Um, I got to really see this, uh, this played out this last year. Uh, one of our students uh, uh, that came, uh, sweet Annalisa, she came to, uh, uh, she's from Italy and she came to live with Brett and Jana Applin this year uh, as a foreign exchange student. And um, I mean, she's just a sweet, kind girl, you know, just a, a you know, like you just wanna be around her. She's just so sweet. Uh, just a, you know, if we just say, hey, she's like a good person. Yeah, she's just a really good person. But here's what happened to her. And she grew up in an area where uh, Roman Catholicism was really big, and, but it's, it's dead, it's a dead religion over there, right? It's not like, there's no Jesus. It's just like, it's works. Here's things you do to get right with God. But she comes here and she sits in a community of, of grace that's centered around Jesus. You know, she comes on Sunday morning, she hears Jesus proclaimed every week. She goes home with Brett and Jan and every night because they love Jesus. Jesus is just coming up at the dinner table. And so she's sitting, she's hearing, she's hearing. She comes to youth group, she hears about Jesus. She goes to small group, she hears about these students talking about Jesus and going out with Jesus. And so she is just saturated sitting around Jesus for, for a long time. Then comes February, uh, we go to a youth event and all of a sudden it clicks. She's like, wait a second, like I've been trusting in my own self my own goodness, my own works. But that's not good enough. I need Jesus to save me. And she was changed. 
And I'm going to tell you, this is beautiful. Here's what happened. Um, we got her to share her story at youth group before she uh, left town. And, uh, she, and it was awesome. But here's what she did. She actually, uh, we said, hey, how can we pray for you? Like, as you're going back, she's going back to Italy. And she said, I don't know anybody there that knows Jesus. Nobody. So she's like this man. Like, so she had a lot of fear. She had a lot of fear, but here's what happens. You know what she asked us to pray for? Like, I would have thought of a lot of things. She says, you know what? I want y'all to pray that I would be bold and that I would tell other people about what God has done in my life, how Jesus has changed my life. Isn't that awesome? Like, and then that's what's her prayer. And then so we surround her and we pray for her and students are praying and crying and weeping because she has done life with these students and they see a transformed person. And so she's standing, not by herself, but she's standing in community as she goes back home. And then she goes back home and Brett and Jana, here's what they tell me. They said in her first week back, she's already had four different gospel conversations with people. And she, cause she can't not talk about what Jesus has done in her life. And she says, I want Jesus to start a movement through me in Italy. I want Italy to know the Jesus of this Bible. One of the persons she shared Jesus with says, you mean he's real? Yes, he's real. He's alive and living. Isn't that amazing? Like people really think, you mean Jesus is real? Yes, he is. So that is the hope of the gospel. That is the power of Jesus. He exposes what we trust in. And so as we conclude, I want to give you some time to think about, so what? What's, you know, how could you respond uh, to this message? How can you respond to what Jesus has shared with you this morning? Tim Keller helped me see this. I wanted you to kind of take you through a few things to pray through. The first thing is, um, I wanted you to think about how will I sit this week at the feet of Jesus? See, Tim Keller, here's what he reminds you of. He says, hey, you know what? Here's the one thing that this man in the passage didn't see, but that we see. He said, there's an exchange happening. He says, this man was naked. What well, we see later in scripture that Jesus is stripped of his clothes and beaten so that we can be clothed with his righteousness. You see the, the exchange, we now have the righteousness of Jesus. This man was imprisoned. Jesus was imprisoned so that we could be set free. Jesus was violently beaten, whipped and cut so that we don't have to pay for our sins. It is paid for. See, Jesus went to the tomb so that we could live, we could have life. Jesus cries out on the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? So we don't ever have to cry out that. We know he's not forsaken us. Jesus has paid the penalty for us. Then he cries out, it is finished, it is done. Jesus goes through that alone. His disciples fell asleep so that we don't have to face life alone ever again. You see, so you sit in that, you sit in the gospel like Annalisa did. You sit there and that changes your heart, it changes your motive. If you don't believe in Jesus, you, you, know, you, turn, you, like, you look at him and you say, you know, I want that. I wanna give up my life for this life because your life, Jesus, is so much better. I am sinful. And here's what happens. You're constantly convicted of your sins, but then what do you do? 
You look up and Jesus is right there with you. You realize he's drawn near to you the whole time. You realize that he's the one that's actually found you. Second thing is I want you to pray through uh, standing, okay? Like, what would it like for you to stand this week? Standing is action. When you leave this place, you're gonna actually stand and leave. That's a picture of what it means to move outward. Ephesians uh, 6.10, you can use that in your studies this week, but it tells you over and over when you're faced with the spiritual darkness, stand, stand, stand. You know what happens when you're in a battle and you're standing? You win, you're winning. And, and, and Paul says, you have the armor of God. You get to put on Jesus every day and you get to go out there and you get to battle against the darkness and you can win if you trust in Jesus. You can't win in yourself, but you, if you trust in him, you will stand. And the last thing I want you to think about is how will you speak? Jesus doesn't just tell this guy, oh yeah, just sit at my feet the rest of your life. Don't tell anybody what I did. No, he says, go tell everybody. And that's what happens when your life has changed. So how will this week, how will you speak? Maybe God will bring somebody to mind, um, you know, that, that you need to share what God's doing in your life. How will you speak? How will you share the good news of what God's done in you to other people? So let me give you a few minutes to think through those three points and ask God to show you uh, your next steps.